and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Dylan. And this week we're talking about season one, episode three, The Witch. Yes. I was going to ask, are you excited? Yes, this is one of my favorite episodes. It's a good episode. It's definitely one of my top season one episodes. I don't know if it makes like all time top five, but season one, uh, it's definitely this and the pack. Yes. Which I don't know. Most people don't like season one. I actually really like season one. But I mean, the same goes for pretty much any TV show. Like usually people say when they're telling someone to start watching something oh like you need to give it until the second season you need to give it until this starts so i'm not super shocked that people aren't the biggest fans of season one just because the show is still trying to find its footing yeah and i know it's actually been criticized for its lack of vampires <laughs> well because season one the pilot deals with vampires yeah and we go to a witch a praying mantis monster we go back to vampires hyenas we have the episode dedicated to Angel. Which, vampire. But then we have the nightmares, we have the the puppet show ordeal that's going on, we have the thing with Moloch, and then we've got, like, the prophecy. And I mean, I think in a 12-episode season, that's a fine number of vampires. And Giles did say, like, at the end of, fuck, was it the end of the first episode or the second, where he starts talking about, like, oh, and maybe it's going to be demons, and this, that, and the other thing. Like, they did set it up to say this isn't just going to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer slaying vampires. Yeah, no, Giles at the end of the harvest does go on his like, here are all the fun and exciting things that could kill us while they're like, um, why are you so excited? (laughs) So uh, while I can understand why people are like, wow, false advertising for a show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And there's only like three to four episodes with vampires in the season. Yeah, but again, you're you're talking about a 12 episode season. So that's a third of the season deals with vampires. Still not enough. Everyone's going to complain about something. That's true. Everyone does have to complain about something. But I will go on record as saying I do like first season. I definitely tell people or I'll use season two episodes to get people into Buffy. But that's because I just assume everybody's going to love Spike and Drusilla. A fair assumption to make. They are both great characters. So I tend to like use season two and then I'll be like, let's go back and watch season one. But I do love season one. I just think it's a classic you you can't beat well i'm uh you know what i mean like yes obviously there are great episodes like better episodes and future seasons once they finally figured out what they were doing but season one is just quintessential buffy it's very quintessential buffy it's very i don't want to say it's formulaic but it is very monster of the week you have the whole idea of the master that arches over the first season but you you're not really yet in these like half season plots yes and i like that as a setup as we're learning these characters and we're learning the world. I can't think of a show that had that sort of monster of the week feel to it that right off the bat did overarching plots. It's just kind of hard to do without getting that world building in. Uh, That's not true. Supernatural did because right away you're thrown into the family bullshit. Okay, but that to me, again, mind you, I was a small child when season one came out, but like it was still very much focused on the monster of the week and then they got into the really weird shit later. Oh, I'll admit, I literally stopped watching Supernatural when it stopped being about traveling across the country, investigating urban legends. Yeah, when it started being like heaven, hell, angels, and what is it? What is the Leviathan? My sisters watched it all the way through and I keep saying I want to go back and like watch it all the way through now that it's done. And of course, my sister's like, let's do it when you're over at the house. We can do like two episodes every time. But like seasons one to three are definitely like my favorite when it was just that like we're driving across country, looking into this demon that has like tormented our family and fighting like Bloody Mary. (laughs) And then shit gets fucking weird. And apparently God writes fan fiction about Dean and Sam. I just, why? That show is definitely on crack at times. Like apparently the crack episodes are some of the best, but that show is definitely on crack at times. Like however weird people think Buffy got it it, at points, Supernatural is weirder like tenfold. (laughs) Yes, yes it is. But speaking of Buffy. Let's get back on topic before Hallie hears this and starts looking at us disapprovingly in a Giles-like manner. Ooh. 
So The Witch. This was the it's the third episode, but it was the second time it aired on TV because this aired March 17th, 1997. So after the pilot, this is really our first real episode. Mm. And the TV Guide synopsis for this episode is cheerleading tryouts turn tragic when a perspective but cheerleading tryouts turn tragic when a prospect who wrote this? Like, this is a tongue twister. Shall I try it? Yeah. Do you want to try the synopsis this week? Since I apparently can't get through it. Sure. Cheerleading tryouts turn tragic when a prospective pom-pom girl bursts into flames. Could Buffy's new friend be practicing black magic instead of cheers? Okay. I don't know why that was so hard for me, but beautifully read. Thank you. I felt like I was living my best newscaster life. You were. You were ready for the seven o'clock news. Yeah. But also pom-pom girl really amuses me. It's the prospective pom-pom girl. Like, I got it out that time, but I was having a hard time getting that out for a minute. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you. We don't yet get a previously on, but we do once again begin with the in every generation speech. If I'm right, I think we get that through like all of first season and then somewhere in second season, they kind of taper off with it. Somewhere in second season, they're like, all right, I think people finally understand the premise of this show enough. After the intro, we move into the library with one very upset Giles who cannot, for the life of him, understand why Buffy wants to try out for cheerleading. It's something he both clearly thinks is frivolous and will distract Buffy from her duties as a slayer. And Giles in this conversation calls cheerleading a cult. And I don't really think he's all that wrong. No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah, cheerleading was kind of the soul cycle of the 90s. I mean, just look at all the Lifetime movies made about it. I mean, if we're to go off of Lifetime, there's a lot of murdering cheerleaders. Right? Buffy, you know, though, she's going on about like how this is good and she deserves a life and normal and Giles is trying to put his foot down and he says, as a watcher, I forbid it. And I just, I love that word forbid. What was it in Pretty Little Liars? Spencer said, it's a pretty hefty 19th century word. And I just, I love that. I love that phrase. Yes. It's also a very parental word, which makes sense given that the theme of this episode is going to be parent-child relationships and parental expectations. And this is the first episode where we clearly have a theme. And I know that that's kind of like a dumb moment because we're only three episodes in. I was going to say, this is just the third episode. Kind of makes sense. But, you know, the first two were very heavy on the exposition, very heavy on the world building. And I'm just excited because there is just a whole lot to unpack in this episode. Yes, yes, there is. When Buffy asks Giles how he intends to stop her from trying out, he responds by appealing to your (laughs) common sense if such a creature exists. As someone who used to be a teenage girl, I'm going to say no. I don't think... And I know, obviously, we go back and we learn a lot about Giles as a young lad, but I have a hard time picturing him actually having had teenage years because anyone who existed as a teenager would not say that. We're going to talk a little bit about Giles in this episode, especially closer to the end, because I can't tell if it's just coincidence or if they had already decided on Giles's backstory. And we're going to see little bits of that throughout this episode. Yeah. But to go off your comment. I do think someone who was a teenager, especially a teenager like Giles, would say this because Giles is that, I know he's not a parent, but let's just take that into everyday life. Giles is that parent who is so, whoever is in my charge, my child, my slayer, my niece, my whatever, is not going to turn out the way I turned out. That he has so divorced himself from his past that he is now like the complete opposite of the person he was back then. Yeah, but I just... Everyone who has ever been a teenager knows that common sense does not fucking exist until you're like 28 if you're a guy, much younger if you're a girl. Yeah, I'll give us like 24. Like we're not that far behind you. But yeah, like everybody knows that. But every parent is going to say something like this or every person of authority, if not a parent, is going to say something like this. Like parents talk about common sense Uh, all the time. They know we have no common sense, fair, but they still talk about it. So yeah, Giles is going to try to bring in the common sense. He's going to try to appeal to Buffy's like idea of responsibility. And it's just, it's not going to work because it never works. <laughs> A for effort for Giles. Gold star. And we're going to continue my favorite thing here. We're going to continue the verbal transition because Buffy, you know, keeps going. She keeps mentioning that cheerleading is something normal, something safe. And as she tells us cheerleading is safe, we're going to cut to the witch's lair. It's very old school, very cottage in the woods, despite being as we see later 
in the middle of suburbia. But you've got like the dried herbs hanging from the ceiling. And I did say herbs. Holly will be so proud. You've got this like huge fuck off cauldron in the middle of the floor, complete with like the green bubbling goo. It's so stereotypical. But you know, that's how we're going to go into this. We'll get on a, a better, less stereotypical representation of witchcraft later down the road. Right now we've got black cats and cauldrons. That's what we've got for here. In this layer, we do see the witch swing a necklace over the cauldron before grabbing a doll from a hook, a doll that is dressed like a cheerleader. Uh-oh. So speaking of cheerleaders, we're going to go to cheerleading tryouts and it's the school gym and the girls are all warming up, practicing their various moves as Buffy arrives with Xander and Willow in tow. Okay, random background note. The whiteboard says that these are the 1996 cheerleading tryouts. So even though Buffy premiered in the spring of 97, in show continuity, we're still in the fall. So it is still 1996. And as a token of good luck, Xander gives Buffy a bracelet that says yours always. Xander, come on, Xander. And just poor Willow. All she wants is for Xander to give her a bracelet. And I mean, Xander, come on, braid some string together. I love Xander. I will defend Xander against the masses. But he had to know that being friends with the two of them, he needed to include Willow for no other reason than otherwise it kind of looks suspicious, dude. So they're watching the other girls uh, warm up. Cordelia joins them. And at one point, Cordelia says something like, who does she think she is? A Laker girl? Fun fact. Charisma Carpenter was a professional cheerleader before doing Buffy. In 1991, she cheered for the San Diego Chargers football team. So we're going to meet Amy for the first time, played by Elizabeth Ann Allen. Though not around as much as some of the other characters, Amy will pop in and out over the next few seasons and she will play a major role in season six. So going to the original script, when we first meet Amy in the script, she is described as nice girl, a little tightly wound today. And that might be because Amy seems to be at these tryouts under duress. The tryouts begin in earnest and the first girl called is Amber. As they watch, Amy says that Amber has trained with Benson, Benson being a cheerleading coach. This is obviously funny because there's no way they knew this. This is complete coincidence. But Amber Benson will go on to play Tara in seasons four through six. The cheerleading coach thing. Buffy seems surprised that there are cheerleading coaches. Okay, it hasn't been that long since Buffy last cheered. And she came from LA. Are we really supposed to believe she doesn't know cheer coaches are a thing? Maybe she just didn't expect to see them in Sunnydale. So here is where we begin to see the theme of the episode take hold as Amy talks about her mom and how they train six hours every day, three in the morning and three at night. And also about the fact how she had to lose the weight over summer. We're kind of getting the feeling that Amy's mom is a little intense. We're going to learn more about her shortly, but she seems very into this. Amber's hands sometime during the routine go up in flames. And if you look when Buffy is snuffing out those flames, that is definitely the stunt person. It is very obvious in this show when there is a stunt person. I am not going to always point it out, but sometimes I'm just, I'm going to have to point it out because sometimes it's just so very obvious. From this, we go to the credits. It's episode three. They're still awesome. There's not really much more to say about them. And when we come back from the credits, we're back in the library where Buffy confirms for us that she's been slain for over a year now, which ties into the question you had last week about the timeline of the movie. If the whiteboard in the gym is to be believed and we're in fall of 1996, then Buffy was most likely called right as the 1995 school year began. So if the dance was at the end of that year, though I don't think it was, because they mentioned there's like two more dances after it. So if the dance was at like the beginning of the spring semester, then the movie takes place over like half a school year. So as they talk about what could have caused the incident, Giles begins to get way too excited. Once again, mentioning how the Hellmouth has a veritable corticopia of fiends and ghouls to engage. And I get it. I too am excited, but I think Giles just needs to temper it a bit. So Xander wonders if Amber might not have superpowers being like the human toy torch, only it hurts. The Human Torch is, of course, Johnny Storm, a superhero from Marvel Comics and part of the team known as the Fantastic Four, along with his sister, Sue, Sue's husband, Reed, and their friend, Ben. And he first appeared in the Fantastic Four number one in 1961. So spontaneous human combustion. Giles mentions that this could be a case of spontaneous human combustion and in that all known cases, rage was a common denominator. I had to go look and see if this was true. Turns out it's not. In the 80s, there was a apparently a two-year study dedicated to spontaneous human combustion, which if you're into unknown phenomenon was probably kind of a downer because in their study, they state that the burned bodies were close to plausible sources for the ignition, candles, lamps, fireplaces, and so on. Such sources 
sources were often omitted from published accounts of these incidents, presumably to deepen the order of mystery surrounding an apparently spontaneous death. So these investigations also found that there was a correlation between alleged spontaneous human combustion deaths and the victim's intoxication or other forms of incapacitation. This could have conceivably caused them to be careless and unable to respond properly to an accident. Where the destruction of the body was not particularly extensive, a primary source of combustive fuel could plausibly have been the victim's clothing or a covering such as a blanket or comforter. So basically what this is all saying is spontaneous human combustion is actually not very spontaneous. So Xander and Willow are of course quick to want to help. Willow with the hacking and Xander with asking around as Buffy tells them that they don't have to do that. And this is where we get our first use of the term slayerettes. That makes me so happy that this term is out there in the universe officially because that's what they are. They tell her she's the slayer and they're her slayerettes. And we do get a very famous Xander quote in this scene where he says, danger, I laugh in the face of danger and then I hide until it goes away. Speaking of Xander, okay, I'm still on necklace watch. You can see very clearly in the scene that he's still wearing it. However, it looks like it's flipped so you can't see what it is. But now I'm doubting myself on the whole St. Christopher medal thing because I was like, okay, that's what makes the most sense. It would be like a metal of some sort. But if it's a metal of some sort, wouldn't it repel vampires? Like, wouldn't a religious metal work the same way as a crucifix? We go to Buffy's house and there are statues all over the Summer's kitchen as well as packing crates. And why doesn't Joyce just have this stuff shipped directly to the gallery? Where is the gallery? Why do we never in the five seasons that she works there ever see the gallery? Because that would make too much sense. I think there's not actually a gallery. I think like Joyce is like like some kind of black market dealer. I could see her being a smuggler. Because we only ever see this stuff in their house. And then she supposedly takes it to a gallery. And then you get the thing in Dead Man's Party where she's got like the mask on her own bedroom wall. I think Joyce is a black uh, market art dealer. I mean, it would explain their ability to have two toasters in the movie. I meant microwaves. It would explain the two microwaves. All right, guys, what do you think of this theory? Do we think Joyce is uh, selling artifacts on the black market? Because I'm now convinced that's what's going on here. Yeah, she sells them on the black market to feed her microwave addiction. What we don't see is the back room that's just full of floor to ceiling of microwaves. That's like her walk-in closet off the bedroom. There's no clothes. It's just microwaves. Yes. Oh, Joyce. Joyce. She needs help. You can invent Nike a character that is her therapist for dealing with this microwave addiction. See, but the therapist is just a microwave, so it doesn't really work. Big microwave is preventing her from getting help. Correct. So speaking of Joyce, she's trying. You can see that she's trying, but she's just missing the mark here. And in some ways, she's both the opposite of Amy's mother and she's kind of the same, which, okay, hear me out. The vision of Amy's mom we're presented with at this point in the episode is that she wants to train her daughter. She's there giving her everything she needs, is involved, Mm -hmm. is possibly overly involved. While Joyce can't remember what Buffy was trying out for. And I'm just like, oh no, is she reverting back to movie Joyce? Should we be grateful she knows her daughter's name right now? even says something to her mom in this scene like you know Amy's mom does this and and Joyce responds with it well it sounds like Amy's mom doesn't have a whole lot she has to do well in all fairness to Joyce she is now a single mom with an arsonist daughter she has a bit to worry about but and we'll get to that in a few minutes Amy's mom is also a single mom Amy's dad having also recently left them oh shit how quickly that information leaves my head so that's why I said like we're definitely setting up Joyce and Catherine as two moms who are similar in some ways and very very different in other ways because we also get the sense in this conversation that Joyce is just waiting for Buffy to get into trouble like once Buffy reminds her that it's cheerleading she was trying out for Joyce is really happy because oh hey when you stop cheerleading that's when you got into trouble and Buffy tells her mom (laughs) well I'm not in trouble and Joyce's response is yet look again yes well she's sees was her daughter stopping cheerleading and then suddenly burning down a gym. It is fair for her to be like, mm, bitch, the fuck are you doing, small child? Burning down gyms, running off with conveniently gorgeous drifters. At 15, and we still don't know how old the conveniently gorgeous drifter was. If he was also 15, how the fuck did they get to Vegas? Did they just take a bus together and no one questioned this? Pike had 
had a motorcycle. I don't know how. I don't think he would have had a motorcycle if he was 15. You don't know this. So Joyce is just, she's waiting for Buffy to get into trouble. And this goes along with what we find out about Amy's mom later on to jump in the episode. But like we said, this isn't spoiler free. So yes, (laughs) Amy's mom steals her daughter's body because she thought Amy was a screw up and was wasting her life and her potential and wasting her youth. So basically this all boils down to mother-daughter relationships are very difficult creatures. We're back at Sunnydale High. It's another round of tryouts. Buffy, Amy, Cordelia, all still in the running along with two or three other girls. And everything seems to be going well. They're doing like a group routine until Amy runs into Cordelia. Then we're out in the hallway and at the trophy case as Amy looks at her mom's trophies, her mom's legacy. Okay, I know I wore a uniform all four years of my high school experience and Buffy looks fantastic, but she's in this like cocktail-esque dress and I just think she looks a little overdressed for school here, especially as she would have just gotten changed out of the outfit she had been at tryouts in. Look, we get the we got the sense in the movie that it was all fashion, fashion, fashion. It makes sense that to me at least in my mind that she is still, even though we it's obviously a very different Buffy, I feel like she's still going to try and be fashionable as much as she can, even if it's aggressive at school in the middle of the day. You got to take your fashion moments when you can get them. Yes, mine were rough. Oh, tell me about it. Amy mentions her mother's nickname was Catherine the Great, a reference, of course, to the Russian empress who following a coup d'etat, which is French for coup d'etat, overthrew her husband and became Russian's longest ruling female. Not French for coup d'etat, twit. No! Okay. Have you seen a hop? What's hop? It's about the Easter Bunny's son and Russell Brand is in it, but the chicks try to take over. And so the chicks are like, we're going to stage a coup d'etat, which is French for coup d'etat. So now when I say coup d'etat, I have to mention that it's French for coup d'etat. I mean, I enjoy this, but I have no reason to watch a movie about the Easter Bunny. You have a young nephew that lives with you. All of my nieces and nephews are four to eight hours away, depending on traffic. Yeah, that's... That's why I watched it before he was ever born. Mm-hmm. I hate you. Under her, Russia grew stronger, becoming one of the great powers in Europe. So Amy's speech here reads like a catalog of all the things she feels she has to live up to. Her mom was a cheerleader and not just the cheerleader, the captain. She led her team to victory. She dated and married the school quarterback. And these are the marks that Amy feels like she has to hit or that yep. more accurately her mother feels like she has to hit. And she's not hitting them. And we add on to that how Amy's mother apparently did everything once her father left. She put herself through cosmetology school, raised Amy, gave her everything, and never once gained a single pound. And I will say, as a beauty school dropout, cosmetology school is a fucking bitch. It was hard enough just balancing that and working full time. Jesus Christ. You and Frenchie dropped out together? Yes. Did you have a teen angel come sing to you? Uh, no. Oh. We do get some great advice here from Buffy as she tells Amy that it's okay to just be her. She doesn't have to be her mom. (laughs) And as Amy departs and Willow arrives, they discuss Catherine and how intense she can be comparing her to Mommy Dearest. And Mommy Dearest is, of course, the 1981 biographical film depicting Joan Crawford's abuse and exploitation of her adopted children for money. It's also the movie... No wire hangers! There we go. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) It's the movie that gives us that. Buffy and Willow then discuss Amber and what Willow was able to find out, which was a whole lot of nothing. Average student caught smoking once or twice. Normal smoking, not like at tryouts. And Buffy says they'll just have to wait and see and that maybe nothing else will happen. Yeah, right. Because next scene, we're in the locker room. It's all very creepy. Like there's dripping shower heads. We do this maze-like sweep of the camera through the lockers. And you just, I love how it just sets up that like Amy's about to get attacked by something. And then it's something way (laughs) scarier. It's Cordelia. And Cordelia tells Amy that she has a dream. A dream of being on the cheerleading squad, adored by varsity males as far as the eye can 
can see. And she reminds Amy that if one doesn't achieve their dreams, they wither up and die. <laughs> Do we think Cordelia reminds Amy a bit of her mother? Yes. Yeah. I'm beginning to think Catherine and Cordelia have a similar vibe. So I'm trying to track Amy's facial expressions here to see if there is a moment when it's clear that she's no longer Amy. And this scene is a little unclear for me because like she does look genuinely taken aback as Cordelia departs. But you had all that defense of her mother earlier and the calling of her father a loser. So I don't know. Maybe it's possible we've never actually seen the real Amy in this episode. That was always my assumption was we did not see the real Amy in this episode. I don't think that that I like I think the whole time it was her mom. It's very, very possible. And I do think we get confirmation on that later on. Yeah. Willow and Xander walk and talk as Willow catches him up to speed and he obsesses over Buffy and the bracelet. Willow just tells him that he should ask her out, which is very classy on Willow's part because it's so clear she wants Xander to ask her out. But Xander clearly likes Buffy. So she urges him to just ask her out. And Xander tells her that she's just like one of the guys. Oh, (laughs) Willow's face just falls. And you know he didn't mean anything by it, but of course it's just the absolute worst thing he could have said to her. It is. It is just the absolute worst. And and he didn't. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was just basically being like, Willow, you're so cool. You're one of my buds. And Willow's just like, I want you to give me a bracelet. Like, please. I will say first season and, and really until Tara came around as much as I love Oz, I kept rooting for Xander and Willow to get together. That's fair. I like I, I loved Oz and Willow. There we go. I haven't had coffee yet today, but I, I, I was very much the same. Like I was hoping, but I think that's because we all have that person from our childhood that we were madly in love with that nothing happened. And so it was just kind of like a, please let this happen so we can pretend that this happened to us moment. I wanted them to get together so badly, but then Tara came along and it was like Xander who? <laughs> because Tara was just absolute perfection. And so the list goes up, the cheerleading list, and Xander abandons Willow, jumping in the fray to help Buffy and Amy find out if they've made it. Turns out they're first and third alternates, which Xander thinks is a good thing because if you're an alternate, doesn't it mean you're kind of on the team? And no, it, it means you're a replacement if something happens to somebody. And that just has Amy really, really disappointed. So Buffy follows and she tries to cheer her up. And okay, so I guess it's not a cocktail dress. It's actually just a top, a very dressy, beautiful top. But it, I assumed it was a dress when I first saw it. <laughs> And just Amy needs all the hugs and some brownies, maybe a new mother. Definitely a new mother. So we return to the witch's lair and we now see that it is actually not in the woods. It is very much in the attic of this very nice house. What intrigues me though is that like the window up there is bricked over. It's not like blackened out. There's not like curtains. Like that little area is bricked over. It Was it originally like that? Do we think something happened? Is it just to keep the attic extra dark? dark and spooky. Look, you need to just have the right atmosphere for your witchy space and sunlight fucking kills it. Okay? She ain't Glinda. But what if you're like the more nature-esque witch with your like flower crown and going out to talk to Gaia? Well, then you're sitting out in the woods all barefoot and shit. You're not in a spooky attic? No, you're in some spooky, spooky woods. Not the meth woods though. There are no meth woods, just spooky, spooky woods. It's still super creepy up there. And now we see some like voodoo-esque dolls hanging upside down and there's like a gargoyle statue. And we go back to the cauldron and there is a stirring of the cauldron. And having rewatched this for like the 25th time, the voice speaking really does sound like Amy. So I think they have switched at this point. I think you're right. I think we've never actually seen the real Amy. And she has the hair tie from the locker. Yes. She's wound the hair tie around a brunette doll's eyes and she's placed it in the, co- in the coffin. Wow, I'm looking at my notes. And I just, I jumped ahead to darkness. <laughs> She places it in the cauldron. We're not to coffins yet. There are no coffins in this episode, thank God. Nothing that bad happens. She places it in the cauldron as she offers Cordelia as a sacrifice to the laughing gods. Okay, I had to go and try to find out what gods would be considered laughing gods. And I came up with two. Uh, There's Pan Mm -hmm. and there's Eris. And while neither of them seem like my first choice for smiting my enemies, I guess Eris does work in a way. She is the goddess of disorder. Chaos. I was going to say, she is the goddess. 
goddess of discord and also of confusion and chaos. Look, if I'm going to smite someone and I'm doing some work with gods, I'm going to, hmm, maybe I wouldn't because that could very easily come back and bite me in the ass. But if I were the type of person to try and work with gods to smite my enemies, I would go for chaos gods. It would probably end horribly for myself because chaos, but that would be what I went with. We're going to see a lot of chaos gods pop up through Buffy. Um, I believe Ethan at one point is doing spells and offering up things to chaos gods. Now that you mentioned that, some vague memory is trying to confirm that in my mind. I think he actually like calls him God of Chaos. We'll get there. But oh, Ethan Rain. I'm so excited to get to Ethan Rain. Ethan Rain's another one of the, the, the villains I just, I really love. And I really wish we had just seen more of him because he is delightful. Yes. I mean, just overall, this show has some amazing fucking villains. There are one or two that just don't hit the mark like fucking Adam. But most of the time, the villains are just delightful in their villainy way. Anyway, back to Buffy's kitchen. So we go to the next morning. Buffy's making breakfast and Joyce has apparently in unpacking found her old high school yearbook. And Buffy mentions that her mom had Farrah hair and Joyce corrects her and says that no, she had Gidget hair. Um, I honestly don't think the two hairstyles are anything alike. Uh, Farrah hair is very blown out, very 70s and Gidget hair um, in the movies, it was mostly a ponytail. And in the TV show, it was like that 50s, 60s little flip up at the end. So I'm not going to lie. My only frame of reference for Gidget is the line from Mama, I, I'm a big girl now from Hairspray. I don't know what a Gidget is. <laughs> We're going to talk about that right now. So Farrah Hair obviously refers to Farrah Fawcett, actress and model, best yes. known for being one of Charlie's angels. Gidget, on the other hand, refers to the fiction character of Gidget, a diminutive female surfer made famous first in the 1959 movie with Sandra Dee and later in the 1965 series with Sally Fields. And on the Farrah Fawcett side, Anya will dress up as one of the Charlie's angels for Halloween come season six. We get a bit of Joyce trying and failing again. And it's nice. She's trying to share something she's into with Buffy and she's trying to offer it as an alternative to cheerleading because, you know, she knows Buffy didn't make the team. But it isn't Buffy's thing. And Buffy is right in telling her mother that she's not her. Something Amy needs to do a little more of. Yes. But what Joyce says to her after is just, ouch. Mm -hmm. But she does admit, to herself at least, that she messed up. And for all of you sitting there going, okay, but what did Joyce say? Joyce says that they had to move to Sunnydale because it was the only decent school that would take Buffy. I don't, do we think that's true? I mean... Do we think it was the powers that be working their mojo? Do we think this is just a mom exaggeration because she's upset? I think it very well could be schools not wanting, like, there is one thing where, say you got kicked out because you got into a fight with someone. That That's one thing. <laughs> Versus, oh, you got kicked out for burning down the gym. That's very expensive to fix and quite possibly could lead to a lot of death. So we're not going to take you into our school, ma'am. Thank you. Try again. Okay, so this is something I wonder here and I wonder again when we get to season three. If it's the law that you have to go to school, doesn't a public school have to take you? Aren't there those schools for quote unquote troubled youths that really are not great? Possibly. And I know they talk about options when we get to season three because yeah. Snyder is being Snyder. I don't know if there are other schools like this, but my high school had, it was called the North Star Program. Mm -hmm. And that was where the quote unquote troubled youth went to. Um, and it, it it wasn't just kids from that, like that, like I grew up with, like there, there were other kids. So I think they took in kids from other towns also into the program. And it, it was almost like a work study program where they, they had some school and then they also had jobs. But again, I don't know if that's a thing outside of my, the town I grew up in. I'm not sure, but that could be a way around I'm that. I'm sure there's some version of that program scattered throughout the country. And I mean, that could be the whole decent part of this. It's not that it's the only school that would take you. It's the only decent school that would take you because it could have been that LA County wanted to send Buffy to some kind of troubled youth school and Joyce for appearances sake or for whatever didn't want basically
basically to send Buffy to this troubled school. So she found a school that was willing to overlook her record and take her. I just, I really appreciate Joyce's portrayal in the show. Raising kids is hard and you're going to have fights and you're going to say shit to your kids and your kids are going to say shit to you that neither of you mean. And it's refreshing when a show shows that instead of just this idyllic version of what it is to be a family because not all of us grew up in households where you didn't get into all out drag out fucking fights with your parents. I mean, obviously there's a lot of stuff they have Joyce overlook because you have to for the sake of the show. Like Buffy has to be able to sneak in and out outside of her bedroom to go slay vampires. It just, it has to happen. Yeah. But like you said, I do appreciate that you see Joyce trying and sometimes failing. You see Joyce acknowledging that her daughter had major issues or what was presented as major issues. And she's not going to just turn a blind eye to everything. Okay, you stay out too late a couple times or this or that. But the fact that you burned down a school and we had to move and Joyce is right to be a little salty about that. She had to pack up and move her life because her daughter got kicked out of school. Now, granted, her daughter had a really good reason, but Joyce doesn't know that. Yeah, no, she doesn't know that whatsoever. (laughs) And I think that's a very normal reaction. Like, of course, you're going to do whatever you have to do for your child. That's what you do as a parent. But you're always not going to be super happy about it. Exactly. Nope, not at all. When Joyce is criticizing herself and the way she handled the conversation with Buffy, she does mention being a little shaky on the dismount, a gymnastics term. And we know from the original script of the movie that Buffy did gymnastics until there was some sort of incident. So now I'm wondering, do we think Joyce did gymnastics? Do we think she got a young Buffy in gymnastics as a way of putting that onto her, much as she was just trying to do with yearbook committee and kind of like Amy's mother is doing with cheerleading? We keep kind of going back to these things that just show these intricate like mother-daughter relationships. I didn't even think about that. I, I just thought it was kind of like a phrase that she used, but it could very well be she did do gymnastics and that was her way of connecting with her daughter. It is probably just a phrase she used and we are probably venturing into English major territory where the blue curtains reflect the, uh, no, the, the curtains were just blue. I am probably over reading into <laughs> things, but it is interesting to think about, especially given the theme of this episode. Yeah. Moving to Sunnydale High, we see Cordelia and she's definitely in some kind of trance. So whatever the laughing gods did to her, it's working. And as she passes by, Xander jokes that she hasn't been mean to him all day. And as she continues to ignore him, he notes he feels invisible, like part of the scenery. And Willow jumps in with this like super cute metaphor about this chewed up old pen that you know you should throw away because she's been chewing on a pen this entire time. And she's just so adorable. But I don't think we ever see her like chew on stuff ever again in the same way. So I'm like, where did the sudden oral fixation come from? So again, that's another thing that I'm going to be hyper aware of now. Like, does Willow often chew? Because I don't think we ever see her chew a pen ever again. I think it was literally just for the metaphor. Yeah, probably. But I mean, who who didn't chew on pens? I still do. I don't chew on them as much now, but yeah, I chewed on them a lot in high school. It's just, it's so satisfying. Xander in this scene does mention something about having a railroad spike driven through his head. Oh, Xander, just you wait. When we get to season two, I have a vampire you're going to love. <laughs> But kudos to Buffy for noticing right away that something is so very not right with Cordelia. Yes, thankfully, someone is paying attention. We talked in the first episode about how they did film at Torrance, mostly outside scenes, and that most of their indoor scenes were filmed in like this one hallway. The one hallway to rule them all. Yeah, but this is not that hallway. Well, rude. Yeah, the hallway that we see and we we know and love is, I believe, the hallway that the trophy case is in for this episode. It looks looks like this scene might have actually been filmed inside Torrance. Oh, they're like, all right, you can you can come inside for one second and that's all you get. I mean, possibly because I also don't think these are the lockers we see in later seasons. Like this hallway is just very foreign. It's it's very different. It it seems a little bit wider than the other hallways we see. And as we know, they haven't built up the school set yet. So all I can think is that this was actually probably filmed on location in Torrance. Hmm, Yeah, that would make sense. So Buffy follows Cordelia out 
outside and there's like that beautiful Spanish tile fountain in the courtyard. We will see it several times through the course of the show. I love it. So very popular Southern California. It's just very pretty. Yes. And it turns out where Cordelia was going was on her way to driver's ed. My school didn't have driver's ed, so I've never understood this. I've never understood how putting other teenagers in a car with a teenager that was learning to drive was safe, especially if you're just driving around the parking lot. Why would you not have them take turns and have the other two sit off to the side? Like, this just doesn't seem safe to me. So my school offered driver's ed through like a separate company. Mm -hmm. And we had the option to choose either shared driving hours or private driving hours. And it was just like the private driving hours filled up really quickly. So if you wanted to get your hours in, you had to do the shared. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, I was just like, this seems unsafe, especially like given what happens in this scene. It's not the best idea ever. We learn why Cordelia seems like she's dazed and it's because she's having a hard time seeing. Her vision is blurred. And by the end of this scene, her vision will be completely gone and her eyes will be completely clouded over. And that's when Buffy gets to her and saves her from getting smushed by like a UPS truck. And they're just, they're white. Like her eyes are completely white. And Giles tells us that this is classic witchcraft as we move back to the library. I don't think that's right. I Googled, I didn't turn up a whole lot of stories about people being blinded by witchcraft. So, okay, Giles. I think he was more talking about like the sudden onset of blindness versus just witches everywhere causing people to be blind. Yeah, I thought his line is something like blinding your enemy is a common move. It could also just be a common move in the Buffy world, which, wow, rude. Willow continues that little bit of savageness we saw in the last episode because the question comes up of why would someone blind Cordelia? And Willow answers, maybe because they met her. I love Willow. Like, tell us how you really feel, Will. Look, they don't remember their friends dying, but they do remember people being mean to them. Apparently, I'm beginning to think like Willow has a list and she just like keeps like her like vengeance list. Yep. And she checks it twice. I mean, this would explain a whole lot about like season six Willow. She has her like little vengeance list. Like it's probably a good thing Cordelia was like off in LA by that time. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) They realize both Amber and Cordelia are cheerleaders. And so someone is either doing this because they don't like cheerleaders or they like them too much. And this is a great conversation about the pressures put on by one parent. And it's easy to see that like everything Joyce has said over the past two days is really getting to Buffy because she does. She talks about like, well, sometimes your parents just expect too much of you. And and, and just poor Buffy's life has been really hard up to this point. And it's not going to get any easier. Nope. No, it is not. And Giles is realizing that he was totally justified in calling cheerleader a cult. Horrified, but justified. Their suspicion, of course, lands on Amy uh, due to the pressures put on her by her mother. But before they confront her, they need to make sure she's the one. So they try to break down, like, how are you going to figure out if someone's a witch? And if you're a high schooler turning to the dark arts to please your mom, what's the first thing you would do? Well, they come up with check out the books on witchcraft. Nowadays, it would probably be Google witchcraft. But yes, back in the day, check out the books on witchcraft is what you would do. And I definitely, definitely remember being like little 11, 12 year old Mary long before Buffy even aired, looking up the witchcraft books in my public library when my grandparents would take me. So I can confirm 100% first thing you would do. Xander, in a typical teenage boy fashion, has been checking out the witchcraft books to look at the semi-nude engravings. Oh, Xander. (laughs) Look. Yes? Porn was really hard to come across back in the day, all right? I mean, yeah, we kind of had to wait for the internet to grow a bit. It wasn't wasn't as easily accessible. So we learn here that his name is Alexander. And I just don't, I, I mean, Xander fits him. I don't think we could see him as an Alex, but we will actually see him called Alex later down the road uh, during the sixth season episode, Tabula Rasa. And it is very, very strange. Your mind scares me. Why? How the fuck do you remember that? I watched Tabula Rasa like two weeks ago. Okay, I'll accept this. I had actually forgotten and I was like cracking up when we watched the episode because like Willow yells like Alex while talking to him something. And I'm like, who? No, (laughs) no, that's not his name. Like, where did this come from? Giles ends up finding a test that involves the hair of the supposed witch, Quicksilver, Aquafortis, and the Eye of Newt. And Willow says this is all things they can find in the science lab. Is it? Well, Quicksilver is Mercury. Eye of Newt? Oh, we're going to talk about that in a second because I have a problem with that one. 
one. But before we go any farther, we need to talk a little bit about the laws of magic. There is an article in Slayage, Teen Witches, Wiccans, and One of Blessed Bees, Pop Culture Magic in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I will, of course, link in our show notes. And this pointed out that this episode is a prime example of Fraser's law of sympathy and contagion. And for anyone who doesn't know, James George Fraser is a Scottish social anthropologist whose most famous work, The Golden Bough, documents the similarities in magic and religious beliefs around the world. In The Golden Bough, Fraser talks about sympathetic or imitative magic. And imitative magic is the magic that everyone knows because it is the magic that every screenwriter invokes ever. And this <laughs> is magic using effigies, poppets, voodoo dolls, fetishes. So the mm. dolls we saw hanging over the cauldron earlier. And the law of contagion, which goes hand in hand with imitation magic, says that once two things are bound magically, the bond remains until an exorcism or banishment of sorts are performed. And the most common idea of this is that to bind these elements, you need a piece of the individual. So like for this detection spell, they needed the witch's hair. For what happened to Cordelia, they needed Cordelia's hair tie. Uh, We will see this pop up again and again. When Xander does the love spell, he needs the necklace back from Cordelia. This is literally every screenwriter's favorite kind of magic. It is because it's a very physical thing and it's a very on screen presents as a very sinister thing. You're stealing something from somebody to impart your will upon them. Yes. So I just wanted to point out that that is what we're seeing here. We're seeing the law of sympathy and contagion and we will continue to see these two laws pop up time and time again. (laughs) Thank you, Professor. You are very welcome. I feel like I just gave a nice Giles lecture there. He'd be very proud of me. A true watcher form. I feel thoroughly educated. But we're going to talk some more about education and we're going to talk some more about classes because I have a lot of thoughts on this next scene. And this is where we're going to get into the I am Newt thing. So they're in the science lab and apparently there are two different kinds of science going on at the same time because he's like, those in track one, begin your dissection. Those in track two, pour the... You would not be mixing labs. Like that just seems like that's just pointing to danger waiting to happen. Because like, what if something flies like drops into the chemicals that's not supposed to be there. What if you don't really mix science labs? And we know from the next episode that the group is all taking biology. Hmm. So I don't know. That just struck me as very (laughs) weird. But the thing that bothers me even more is that Willow uses a frog's eye as the eye of Newt. A frog is not a Newt. I mean, I understand they're both amphibians, but the spell does not say eye of amphibian. It says eye of Newt. Professor Snape would not approve of this careless substitution. But also, Professor Professor Snape would be the first one to point out that eye of newt does not actually mean the eye of an animal. It is mustard seed. See all kinds of things going on here. I had to quickly Google it because I, when I said eye of newt, I was like, wait a second. There is something that I read about eye of newt not being eye of newt. And I was correct. It is mustard seed. So <laughs> I knew something you didn't again. I'm still not certain you get that first one. No, I do. Okay. But yeah. The scoreboard is Dylan to Mary Zero. The scoreboard is like Dylan 2 Mary 25. Nope. Dylan 2 Mary Zero. Carry on. So yeah, I don't approve of this. I don't approve of this substitution. Don't think Professor Snape would either. This is careless witchcraft going on here. But it is interesting that Willow is the one who is mixing up the potion in the back of the class because as we all know, Willow will go on to be a very powerful witch. Do you think this was pointing towards that or in this universe, anyone can make a potion as long as they have the ingredients? I don't know. And And this is like what we're going to talk about in a few minutes, because like there's also a lot as we get closer and closer to the end of this episode, there's a lot of like Giles knowing a lot about magic. And so I'm trying to figure- Well, that would make sense. He's a watcher. No, no, no. Not that kind of thing. We're going to talk about it when we get to the end. And so I'm like, well, have they already decided what Giles' past was? And so I don't know. I don't know if we did- I don't know if they had decided where they were going with Willow, because I know that at this point, a lot of things hadn't been decided about the character because at one point there was talk that it was going to be Xander who would end up being not straight. Oh, 
Willow. Yeah. And then they switched it to Willow. So I don't know. I also don't know where when they wrote this episode, their status was like how much they knew they were going to be renewed or continued on. So I don't know. I think for something like this, because it's a potion and it's a, a physical thing that you're just steering these elements like she didn't have to recite any words. She didn't have yeah. to put anything of herself in it. I think there are certain things that anyone can do, which also would explain the times Xander has accidentally summoned a demon because he read Latin in front of the book. <laughs> so I uh, I think there are certain things anyone can do. I think anything yeah. like what we see Amy's mother do where she's calling on dark forces. You need someone who's magically inclined, but we never get confirmation that magic is something ingrained in Willow, except for for Jenny's comment of the fact that she isn't a witch because she doesn't have that kind of power. She is just a pagan. So I don't know. They never really define if witchcraft is all something you're born with. So there is something inside Willow that allows her to tap into that later on. Clearly, it looks like it's a genetic component in Amy's family. Yeah. Or if witchcraft is something somebody can learn. But I don't know. But I did like that even if it wasn't planned, that this is a nice little nod. That's what's going to happen to Willow later on. Very much so. So she hands Buffy the vial of the potion and she says spill it on her and she asks Buffy if she has a plan and Buffy says I'm going to spill it on her and make it look natural Buffy does not even try Buffy like walks over there and is like oh and she like <laughs> tips the vial over onto there's no like pretending to bump into her there's no that she just walks over and pours it on she is the master of subtlety she is Amy's skin turns blue but before they can really react to that everyone's attention turns to another girl in the class whose mouth has just disappeared now covered over in skin I did not like that. But that's, One bit. It's such a creepy scene. So down goes another cheerleader. Out in the hall, Buffy confirms the test was positive, saying that Amy is their Sabrina. And I know that this is one reference. I can just see you doing the Captain America. I understood that reference. <laughs> I know this is a reference you got because I know this is one dear to your heart. But for anyone yes. who may not know, um, Sabrina is referring to Sabrina, the teenage witch, first introduced in the Archie comics in 1971. The character was then made famous by Melissa Joan Hart in 1996 due to the ABC series and now Sabrina has seen a double revival. Well, I guess now by this time a triple revival as she's gotten a regular comic series, a horror comic series, and there has been the Netflix series. Wait, what's the regular comic series? So you know how they just, they rebooted the Archie comics and kind of just moved them into modern day? Okay. So yeah, so there is some speculation in this conversation that maybe Amy didn't know what she was doing that the magic was unintentional as Xander mentioned she did look just as wigged as everyone else but was she though was she she was not I think she's just good at pretending and I I mean I did start to doubt myself too like I said I was kind of watching through here trying to figure out if this was Amy when it was Amy and if it's like been Catherine this whole time which I'm beginning to think it was and like we've talked about we think it is maybe her mom should have been an actress instead of going to cosmetology school seriously we go back to Amy's house and first off, that gate that like she goes through, that is something straight out of the Haunted Mansion. And I want it. Yes. It's, it's so, so good, good. With the, like the little demon face in the middle. Oh, so cool. And I do like that the scene doesn't make it immediately clear what's going on. In fact, you could still kind of believe it's Amy and just a, like a very out of control Amy who's relishing that like her mother, this great person has had this kind of downfall. And so she orders her mother or who at this time, most people still believe to be her mother to do her homework and says she'll be upstairs finding a solution to her Buffy problem and getting herself on the team. And so Amy's mom, Catherine, is played by Robin Riker, who has pretty much guest starred on everything, including Sabrina, the teenage witch. I knew she looked familiar. Yeah, she's been on everything. Like I, I like to look people up, especially when they look familiar and see if there's one thing I can pinpoint them being on. Or I'm like, yes, okay, obviously I remember you being in this TV show, but yeah, she's just been on everything. Yes, yes, she has. I'm looking at her IMD page now and it is I'm like, oh yes, I saw that and that and that. Amy has Buffy's bracelet and after seeing her with the bracelet, I rewound a bit and tried to track the bracelet in the 
the lab scene and to see exactly when Buffy lost it. But every time we see her in the lab, she does seem to have the bracelet on, but it does look like they're missing when they talk in the hallway. So I don't know. Maybe it was the confusion when the other cheerleader lost her mouth. Amy managed to snatch it because Buffy was standing next to Amy at the time. But sometime between the lab and the hallway is when Buffy lost the bracelet. Speaking of Buffy, we're going to go back to her and her room and it's the next morning. And the scan through her room is like a little weird. It's like that snaky like camera scan scan along the floor as we go like up to her bed. And like that's not a weird shot or anything, but the stuff in her room is just weird sometimes. Like sometimes her room definitely like looks like a nice Buffy room, but there are like a couple of porcelain dolls and like some stuffed animals. And I just, I don't feel like those things feel very Buffy. Also, she's like sleeping on like this lace pillowcase. And I'm like, that would indent your skin. You yes, have yes, lace marks come morning. Why is she sleeping on that? That's the look she's going for. Okay. I'm sure it's because it looks nice, but it didn't seem very practical. Yes. And the shirt she's sleeping in does have a black cat on the front. Black cats historically have been associated with witches and witchcraft. So that was a nice little touch. And after nearly murdering her alarm clock, accidentally, of course, Buffy comes down to the kitchen dressed in her cheerleading uniform as thanks to what happened in the science lab the the previous day, she is now on the squat. And she's just kind of like bouncing around singing Macho Man to herself. And I understand she is in it under the like a very dangerous spell. But Buffy is just the absolute cutest thing ever in this scene. Yes, yes, she is. Bouncing around, she takes the juice from her mom and she's like, oh, juice. And she tells her mom that it is quality juice, not from concentrate. She also in this state admits to her mother that she is a vampire slayer because her mom tries to apologize for what she said the previous day. And Buffy's like, no, no, you're right. Things happen. And it's just, it is totally hard being a vampire slayer. And her mom's kind of like, what? She's like, long story. Thankfully, her mom just thinks that she's like either super excited or kind of out of her mind. Because her mom is just like, uh, do you feel okay? And let's that go. <laughs> yep. And where we're going to go is we're going to go right into cheerleading practice where you'll notice that Buffy is wearing black sneakers while everyone else is wearing white ones. And this is just a small thing to symbolize kind of Buffy's status as an outsider and, and one who doesn't really belong to this team. And Xander and Willow come in and we get the whole like, it's my buds. I love my buds. And Buffy just, she continues to be the cutest thing in the world. I love it so much. She's like so enthusiastic. (laughs) She's like dancing to the cheerleading music, but she kind of ends up getting kicked off the team due to the fact that like in this sort of intoxicated state and with her slayer strength, she uh, throws the head cheerleader into a wall. I just love how like no one even stops to question how this happened. They're just like, no, go, go, go. We don't want to buy. So Buffy's out and Amy is brought onto the team. And as they go out into the hall, we do get a a little bit of vindication for Willow because Buffy is going on and she's talking to Xander and she's like, do you know why I love you, Xander? And Xander's like, ah, tell me, tell me why you love me. And Buffy's like, cause you, you're not like other boys. You are just one of the girls. And you can, you can see Willow trying not to laugh (laughs) because it's a little bit of vindication for her. It is a great mirror to the conversation earlier, but before Willow can enjoy this moment too much, Buffy then collapses and they take her to the library and Willow wants to take her to the hospital and Giles says there's nothing a hospital can do as she's under a bloodstone vengeance spell. Yeah, kind of interesting how Giles just keeps recognizing all these spells, isn't it? Look, don't read into it too much, ma'am. So they discuss the spell (laughs) and it's clear how this spell is intended to kill Buffy. But even then, Buffy doesn't blame Amy because she only became a witch to survive her mother. So they decide she and Giles would go to Amy house and try to locate the spell book because if they can get the spell book they can break the spell willow and Xander are tasked with keeping an eye on amy and keeping her away from the science lab okay the science lab like that's that's the best place we can think for casting a spell in the school not like the library where we've got a ton of space we're gonna go to the science lab they're thinking all bubble bubble toil and trouble and uh, they can't get the bubble bubble in the library unless they light shit on fire and people are gonna have questions that's true okay? you do need the science lab for the bubble bubble not so much for the toil and trouble you can get the toil and trouble anywhere but the the bubble bubble. Exactly. 
We will accept store brand toil and trouble. That's good to know. So the scene where they're driving to Amy's house marks the first appearance of Giles Citroen. Citroen? The little car that Giles drives. <laughs> and the car that will be the butt of a lot of jokes. It is a French designed and manufactured car. And they're not currently sold in the US and were actually banned in 1974 for not meeting bumper height regulations. I think this is why they tell Giles he has to get a grown up car later on because apparently these are like little cars. That is very specific. I mean, I, I guess it's a safety thing. Your your car has to be a certain height. Well, yes, true, but still specific. But this just makes me wonder, like, if they're not sold in the U.S., did Giles have his car shipped over from England? And is it actually legal for him to be driving it in California? Probably not. Okay. Good job, Giles. <laughs> Good job not being a law-abiding citizen. His crazy past is already coming back. Look at this rebellion. Look, Giles got <laughs> shit to do. He doesn't care about no American laws. He's busy throwing school children into danger. I mean, fair. He is very busy throwing school children into danger. He does not have time to read the American driver's manuals. Exactly. Giles and Buffy arrive at Amy's and Robin's acting in this scene is just chef's kiss. You can just see her fighting not to fall apart and you can just tell the character is terrified. And we do see a bit of a ripper peeking out here because Giles is just not having it. Protective watcher, protective dad mode has been engaged. My favorite mode. I love, love when Giles lets a little bit of the Ripper peek out. Yes. It's clear though from the scene that something isn't right. Though supposedly the mother, Catherine, is worried that Amy might return home. When they first showed up, she tried to tell them she wasn't allowed to let anyone in the house. And then she mentions her dad leaving and then tries to correct it to Amy's dad leaving. And you couple that with the plate of brownies and those are totally little Debbie brownies. I love those brownies. It clues Buffy in that this isn't Catherine, this is Amy. And the explanation Amy gives for the body switch is she said I was wasting my youth, so she took it. And this is where we do get our confirmation because in Amy's explanation, she says that she woke up in her mother's bed a few months ago. So that does kind of solve the mystery. There was no point in this episode where we saw the real Amy. It has always been Catherine. So Giles catches on that Amy mentions her mother locking herself upstairs and they head for the attic, finding her lair and a black cat in a trunk. Was the cat able to breathe in there? Were we doing physics experiments? Was this like a Schrodinger's familiar? Yes, the familiar is both alive and dead at any given moment until you open the box to confirm. But since it is a familiar, it is going to survive. Fair enough. I mean, it could be a magical black cat. And so they open the trunk and they pull out this book and Giles, just from the title, doesn't have to look at it, doesn't have to look through it, from the title, knows that they found the right book. Giles just knows shit. He drinks weird bone juice and knows (laughs) things. This is what he does. He drinks Bovril and knows things. Yes. I need something now that says that. This is what I do. I drink Bovril and I know things. So we're back at Sunnydale High and it is game time. You can just see Catherine's absolute delight. She's in Amy's body. She's cheering. She's back in the spotlight and she just, she feels this is where she belongs. I feel she's rude. And down the hall, Giles and the real Amy are beginning to set things up in the lab, having just arrived and they're planning to break Catherine's spell. All of Catherine's spell. During this sequence, we're going to kind of be flashing between the two because we're going to be at the game and we're going to be in the lab and we're actually going to see Amy and Catherine's consciousness also switch between the two as the spell tries to put them back in their right bodies. And if there's a there's a small moment where you do get like a blink and you'll miss it of the Sunnydale mascot off to the side who is just so way less terrifying than the Henry one. The Sunnydale Razorback is... Thank fucking God. <laughs> I, did, I just, I, I couldn't handle another terrifying pig. No, no one could have handled another terrifying pig. So I'm glad that this is a way less terrifying pig. And the pig will get even less terrifying when we get further down the season and we meet the actual little but piggy. That we can't we can't talk too much about the piggy because then I'll get sad. So like I said, we're seeing Amy and Catherine flash between the two the two bodies. Like even though Catherine is in Amy's body in the gym, she can occasionally see the science lab as the spell tries to force her back into her own body. And I'm wondering like, did they not know this was something was going to happen? Did they not know that like as they tried to switch them back, it would become very obvious where they were? Shouldn't they have gone somewhere harder to find? Or I don't know, just barricaded the door? I mean, my first thought wouldn't be as the spell is trying to work, the crazy witch is going to be able to see where we are. I guess it's not 
something you think about in the moment. It's something that you look at afterwards and go, oh shit, that was kind of obvious. But like, it wasn't obvious in the moment and it's probably not the first thing you're thinking of. You're right. But okay, so this is what I've been talking about like the whole time. Like these are the moments I'm talking about where I have to wonder if they've decided about Giles' backstory at this point. Because as Giles begins the spell, there's like this brief flicker across Anthony's face when he's doing this casting. And like there's this light, slight moment of hesitation. But then it like turns into like elation as he like gets into it. And he's just like, yeah. And he's just like feeling that kind of power. And I'm just like, ooh, is this like Giles? Like, yeah, remember when I used to do this? This was actually really fun until the demon showed up and started killing everybody. But this was like really fun. And so that's why I was like, "Mm, did they know where they were going with Giles at this moment? Or was this just like Anthony living his best life? Well, I wonder, I wonder if maybe they gave Giles the backstory that they gave him because of the acting choices that Anthony Stewart had made. That's also completely possible. They were just like, buddy, you looked like you were having a lot of fun. We're going to let you have even more fun. Yeah. But it is nice to know they did like at least lock the door because when Catherine arrives at the lab, she can't get in. And so she like goes down the hall and grabs an axe. A lot of people are going to steal this axe. This is the first time the axe gets stolen. This is not the last time the axe will be stolen. I want to steal the axe. If you were at Sunnydale High, you probably would steal the axe. Yes, yes, I would. So Giles does reverse the spell, returning Catherine and Amy to their rightful bodies. And oh my God, Amy's mother is just awful. The things she says to her daughter are horrible. I mean, you're just figuring that out now. Bitch trapped her daughter in her own body for months. We know that Amy's mom has been like horrible this whole time. But like, it just gets compounded in this scene. Yeah. This scene also marks the first time of many that Giles will be knocked out. Poor Giles. I do love Buffy's little, guess what? I feel better right before she throws Catherine across the room. And um, I'm not going to question why there is a mirror in the science lab, but there's a mirror in the science lab and they use it to deflect Catherine's spell. And I'm just like, seriously, you were so upset about not being able to be a cheerleader again that you were going to condemn like a teenage girl to the dark dimension. Again, she was so pressed that she wasn't a cheerleader. She stole her daughter's body. Oh, I know. And kept her trapped in their house. I know that like Catherine. I am not shocked. No one's shocked. I mean, it's just like, lady, you need to let go. Just full Elsa it. Uh, The mirror causes her spell to backfire. And in the end, it is Catherine that disappears, most likely whisked off to the dark dimension. My bitch. And as Buffy helps Giles up, he says, this was my first casting. And I'm just gonna call liar liar pants on fire because that was not his first casting. Look, we don't know that at this point. It very well could have been. It very well could have been, but we know it wasn't. We know Giles has got a history and I'm just, oh, I cannot wait till we get to that history. So we go back to Buffy's house and it does look like Buffy actually did murder the alarm clock because she's sweeping the pieces into the trash when her mom enters and this is a great scene. It's just Joyce and Buffy kind of making up and Joyce just admits she doesn't have all the answers and sometimes that is the best way to be a parent. Yes. Yep. It's just being honest. Yeah. To be honest and admit that, you know what? You don't know everything and you're doing Mm -hmm. the best you can. (laughs) Okay. So I noticed a small time continuity issue in this scene. Shocker. Joyce says Buffy is 16. Buffy's birthday is in January, meaning at this point in the school year, she would not have turned 16 yet. She'd still be 15, which also means if she's been the Slayer for over a year now, she was called when she was 14 years old. This keeps getting more tragic and keeps validating my theory that that shit should have affected her so much more than it did. Look, the 90s didn't care about mental health, all right? They're like, oh, everyone you love dies? Get the fuck over it. But season one is a short season and they keep her age pretty consistent from season two on, so. But don't they like change her birthday a few times? No, it's always in January. It's always in January, but something about her age changes. Well, it changes from the movie to this, but no, her birthday is always consistently in January and she turns 17 in season two. She turns 18 in season three because of the cruciamentum. She turns 19 in season four. She turns 20 in season five. Uh, It's her 24th birthday in season six when they have the time loop. And I don't know if we address her birthday in season seven, but because we do have like a Buffy's birthday episode every season, they are pretty consistent about it. I could have sworn I remember there being something weird about her age. I'm going to Google it and then get another point onto the scoreboard where it will then be Dylan three, Mary, negative 500. I'm pretty sure you're going to find this thing where they call her 16 in season one, even though her birthday wouldn't have hit by this time. Just get excited for me to get another point. Okay. So 
for our last scene, we go back to Sunnydale High and Buffy and Amy are walking through the halls talking about Amy's dad. And honestly, Amy's dad just sounds amazing. And now I'm kind of wishing we got a storyline where like he enjoys meat because I feel like they'd have a lot to talk about. And Buffy is being so super cute. She's in this like 70s-esque like tunic dress. I love it. I love it so much. And Cordelia comes up behind them and we discover that natural order has been restored. Cordelia is back on the squad and the other two are back to alternates. Not that either of them seem really particularly torn up about it. Yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> we end this episode with the trophy and the revelation to us, not to the characters on the show, but to us, the viewing audience, that Amy's mother is now trapped inside. And that is, that's kind of dark. Sex to suck bitch. It's also kind of fitting because now she is forever a cheerleader. Yeah, she's now forever a cheerleader and forever a symbol of her own legacy. So it's definitely a fitting punishment. Yes. And that is The Witch. Do you have any final thoughts, feelings, questions, attempts to get a point? I mean, I will get all the points and you just continue to go further and further into loserdom. It's the way of the world. So get excited. I just love this episode. I loved this episode the first time I saw it. It will forever be one of my absolute favorites, but this is not shocking for anyone who knows me. Anything to deal with magic and witchcraft is going to be up my alley. Yeah, I'm not shocked at all. Except for the last season of Sabrina, because that was just horrible. Anyway, that's just about it for this week. Thank you all for listening and make sure to join us next time when we take on episode four, Teacher's Pet. Until then, you can check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review, or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye! Bye!